Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Hallelujah. It's good to be here today, and uh, I'm excited to continue our, our series in, on unity, and we've, we've been kind of taking a little tangent, but it all ties in, and I, I'll get to that a little bit in the end today. But um, first off, just for, for those of you that are taking notes throughout this series, I want to just kind of keep us in track. We started this series, and I, was, I had it in my mind that we were going to do about six weeks. We're on week four, and we're not even through half the first chapter. So that just tells you how well it goes. And there's about six chapters in Ephesians. But I, I, don't, I don't think you guys mind. There's so much in there, and I think we just need to take it line by line, even if it's half, half, a, half a verse by half a verse, to, to just draw the meaning out of this, this wonderful book. And so let's, let's throw that outline up there real quick, and I'll show you where we're at so far. So we're talking about unity in the book of Ephesians, and the first thing is the beginning of unity. Where does it all start? And of course, uh, it starts with our unity, our personal unity with Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, are you unified with Christ? Did they say yes? Or didn't they answer? If they didn't answer, put your hand on them and start to pray for them right now, Okay. <laughs> Are you unified with Christ personally? That's where it all starts. And we talked about what it means to be in Christ, to be in Christ, because the scripture clearly says that phrase. In fact, we talked, I think it's 36 or 37 times in the book of Ephesians that refers, or uses that phrase, in Christ or in him or in Jesus. And uh, in Christ means to be plugged into the vine of Jesus Christ. It means you have an active relationship with him. That's what it means, all right? Amen? That means you're unified with him. It means your life lines up with his word to be in Christ. And then we got into what are the benefits of being in Christ? And this matters. It's not a tangent completely, okay? We are adopted. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We are adopted. We're grafted into the vine. We are adopted children of a perfect father. How many are glad for that this morning? I mean, some of you got some really great dads, but not like our heavenly father. He's perfect in every way. We talked last week about the fact that we have been redeemed through the blood. That's what the verse said. We have been redeemed, and our past, our present, and our future has been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're gonna move on, but before I do that, I wanna read the scripture that we've got through so far, and we're gonna kind of read it together. And, and just over the last three weeks, um, I'm hoping that the scripture kind of uh, comes alive to you as I read it. So Ephesians 1, 1, 8, 1 through 8a, okay? We're gonna say, Paul, an apostle of, of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where we kind of got started. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ, right? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. There's that. We've seen it three times already, right? In him, in Jesus, in, in, in the in the beloved. Here it is again, verse seven, in him. Everybody say in him. Amen. I want you to see that all the time throughout the book of Ephesians. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Amen. Amen. And we have, this is where we're going today, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. So church number three, benefit of being in Christ is that we have been forgiven. And I wanna talk about what that means because it's, it's incredibly significant to us this morning. I wanna define forgiveness. And, and so I, I did get a little bit into this last week when talking about redemption, but I, this week I, I just couldn't get past the second part of verse seven which, and, and into verse eight, the idea that we have been forgiven of our trespasses, which is our sins. And let's be sure we're all on the same page here this morning. The word sin or trespasses, as it's used in Ephesians 1, 7, means our shortcomings. Sin is any action or word or deed 
that goes against the very character, nature, or word of God in our life? How many know we don't always measure up to the holy, perfect standard of God? We don't. We don't measure up, and that's what's called sin. Sin is our imperfection. It's when we take our imperfection and we set it up next to his perfection. We, don't, we, we just don't measure up to his standard. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We don't measure up. We can never measure up. But through the blood of Jesus, like we learned last week, we're redeemed. We get a chance. We get to go to heaven because there's been blood that's been shed. Perfect, innocent, wonderful, uh, atoning blood that has been shed for you and for me so that we have access to heaven. I like to say sometimes that if, if you were the only person to ever live on the face of the earth, God would have still sent his only son, Jesus, and Jesus would have, would have died for you, you alone, because you're worth it. You're worth it to him. I also like to say that if there was ever a person who could do it on their own, who could be holy enough, who could somehow live sinless lives, then Jesus would have never had to come. But we know he did come because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Through the shed blood of Jesus, we can have eternal life in spite of our not measuring up. I don't measure up, but I'm going to heaven. I mean, do you get that, how awesome that is? I don't measure up, I sin, but my sin can be forgiven. It is forgiven through his blood, through his shed blood, and I get to still go to heaven even though I don't measure up. That should boggle your mind. Maybe some of you think you're just, you really deserve heaven or something. How many deserve heaven in and of yourself and how good you are? At home, you got any hands raised out, out in internet land? Is that a really old man thing to say? I think I said one time, all you, you know, thank you for turning on your internet like it was some kind of TV or something. And my staff really made fun of me for a long time for that. They're still making fun of me for that. But if you're with us today, either here or on the internet, I mean, that should excite you, right? Even though you don't measure up, you have a heaven to look forward to because of the blood of Jesus. We are redeemed from the curse. I talked about that last week, through his shed blood. But we are completely and totally forgiven of our sins. They are never to be remembered again. I like that. Verse seven says that we are redeemed through his blood. Redemption is a releasing of bondage, like I said last week, or a liberation procured by a ransom payment. And if, as if that's not good enough, verse seven continues with the truth that he also forgives us of our sins. Forgiveness is more about our pardon. We are forgiven of our guilt of sin. And the Greek word in which we get our word forgiveness implies that the pardon includes God letting those sins go as if they had never been committed. Let's not forget that the forgiveness of sin, that this forgiveness thing that we have available to us, this God letting go of, of those sins as if they never happened, is for those that are in Christ. What a benefit of being in and remaining in Christ. Isaiah 1, 18 says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they're so red, they're so red, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Psalm 103, 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions, our sins from us. That's infinity. I used that verse last week in talking about redemption, but it's, it also applies to forgiveness. And they're so intertwined, but they're, yet they are a little different. Micah 7, 19 says, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. I mean, I'm all about Jesus treading my iniquities under his feet as if they've never happened. You will cast, it says, all our sins into the depths of the sea. But it must be said that experiencing the forgiveness of Christ isn't without conditions. Matthew 6, 14 through 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I love the fact that we're forgiven. But it's really hard for me to talk about unity in the book of Ephesians 
and the forgiveness, the benefit that we have in Christ, which is we're forgiven of all of our sins without making a parallel line to forgiving one another, which is what, which will promote unity like no other. Forgiving one another. It's that simple. Forgiveness from God of our trespasses, according to that verse, is dependent upon our forgiveness of those that wronged us. If you want to hold grudges and not forgive, how can you expect the Heavenly Father to forgive you? And I know that's hard. In fact, I think it's one of the hardest things we have to do in our Christianity, in our walk with God, to actually be like Christ and forgive those that are unworthy of forgiveness. But then again, nobody's worthy of it, are they? I'm not worthy of it, and yet I receive it. You're not worthy of it, and yet you've received it. And let me just say that speaking to a multi-generational crowd like yourselves isn't very easy sometimes. Different generations define words differently. I told Pastor Jared this this morning. As I was putting this message together, I came to like a, a, a little bit of a, a hurdle, and it was in dealing with the word justice. When you say the word justice, all sorts of things come to mind. People um, that are younger think of it one way. People that are older think of it another way. And it's funny how the world begins to change the meanings of words, isn't it? Because if we change the meanings of words and everybody defines every word differently, guess what happens to truth? It gets diluted. And we lose the central meaning of truth. Many younger people hear the word justice and immediately associate it with those who have been hurt, receiving some sort of compensation for what's been done to them. Social justice carries that kind of meaning with it. Many older people may hear the word justice and the first thing that comes into their mind is punishment for those who have hurt others. It's, just, it's, a, it's an interesting word, isn't it? So what is justice? Let's just wipe away our predispositions on the word for a second and just define it this way. Justice is people getting what they have coming to them, good or bad. We all claim to want justice. Justice for those who have been wronged and justice for those who have wronged others. The problem starts to arise when we, when we start deciding who's innocent and who's guilty, who deserves forgiveness and who doesn't. Church, God is the only just judge. He will one day punish the unsaved sinner, those that are not in Christ. He is also a loving father who heals the hearts and emotions of anyone who calls upon him. He never leaves or forsakes those that are in him. In fact, Psalms 56, 8 says, you keep track of all of my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. That's what the psalmist said in reference to what our Heavenly Father does for us. See, there is a place of eternal reward called heaven, and there most certainly is a place of eternal punishment called hell or the lake of fire. And it's so hard for some people to bring these two attributes of God, this loving Father and this just judge, together. God is so loving that he offers his mercy to anyone who would receive him, and he's a just judge that will not let sin go unpunished. But you gotta understand, it's the cross that makes this possible. Justice can be punishment and love at the same time. The cross is quite literally the intersection where justice and mercy meet. And it all gets worked out because he's the only just judge. No one, and that means you, and that means me, that means every person who's ever walked on the face of the earth, not one of them, not one of us can earn forgiveness from God. We can only receive forgiveness through the blood sacrifice of Jesus crucified on the cross. It's only through him. He is the only way. There is no other way. Well, what if no one ever heard the name of Jesus? It doesn't matter, there is no other way. Well, that's not fair. God makes it fair. You have to trust him and realize that he's a just judge. You say, well, what about people in, in countries that, that are predominantly Muslim and they never heard the name of Jesus? Do you know that 80% or more of Muslims that come to Christ have a dream or a vision of Jesus calling to them? God makes a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. Don't get in the way of what he's doing. He will make sure everybody has opportunity. That's why I'm so passionate about missions, to make sure that everybody has that opportunity to, to accept Christ, to hear his gospel message, his good news. 
in a sense, it's not justice for any of us to be able to go to heaven. But the blood of Jesus makes it possible because it atones for our sins to the place where the blood applied justifies us. And I bring all this up for the simple reason that if you, if you struggle to forgive others, you may not understand the forgiveness that is available to you. I bring this up because when you start talking about forgiveness and, and justice and who should get, be, be allowed to be forgiven by you and who shouldn't be because of what they've done to you, guess what? It's really not your call. You don't get to decide what justice is and what isn't. God is the only just judge. And you have to trust him. Justice is love. Punishment can be love. It's really important you understand that because it affects how you see and how you think about this thing called forgiveness. So, that might be some food for thought for you to talk about over the, the, the dinner table or whatever with your family, but I wanted to get more into defining this, this thing called forgiveness. So what forgiving others is? Let's talk about that to start with. What forgiving others is? Let's, let's just nail that down. Forgiveness is dismissing the demand that others owe you something especially when they fail to meet your expectations. They fail to keep a promise. They fail to treat you justly in your, in your mind. Forgiveness is when you, grant, when, when you grant forgiveness, you dismiss the debt owed to you or you release your right regarding the offense. It's releasing your right to hear, I'm sorry, your right to be bitter or have resentment, your right to get even, your right to dwell on the offense, your right to hold on to the offense, and your right to keep bringing up the offense. When you forgive others, you are reflecting the character of Christ. You are imitating him. That's what forgiveness is. And I can't help but think of, and I know I've used this before, and I think Pastor Jared has it. It's just there's just no other story like it. But the, the story of, of Corey Ten Boon. I mean, she was a young girl that was taken to the Jewish uh, concentration camps by Hitler's army and his officers. Her dad was killed, was murdered. They had been involved in rescuing uh, Jews in their home, and then they were taken. I think her dad was a clockmaker, if I remember right. And she was taken, in her, and she watched her sister abused in the concentration camps, and, and she watched her sister die. She, know, she knew her dad was killed, and she didn't know what her future had in store f- for her. But she got out, and she was able to move on in life a little bit. And then one day, a man came up to her and said, Hi, do you remember me? And it was one of the worst abusers in the concentration camp that she was at. It was the guy who literally abused her sister and, and, and helped, at least was part of the process of her sister dying. And the guy said, do you remember me? I need, I, I, I've prayed a prayer because I've become a Christian and I asked God, I know he's forgiven me, but I, I, I've asked God, can you forgive me? Can, can, someone, can someone that I abuse, can I meet someone and ask them to, to forgive me too? And here you are, and here I am. And he said, can you forgive me for what I've done? And she said, I cannot. And most of us would be in those shoes. And she remembered then about how God forgave her of all of her transgressions. And she began to remember what the scriptures say, that if she doesn't forgive others, how is she supposed to be forgiven? I mean, we're talking about somebody who abused and killed, raped probably, I don't know. That's the kind of things that went on in these concentration camps. How do you forgive somebody like that? How do you forgive the guy who murdered your family member? How do you forgive those kinds of transgressions. And what Corey Ten Boon said was that I realized that I couldn't, but Jesus could, and I could through him. 
That's the only way. That's the only way. And I know a lot of you, uh, there, there's some of you that have those kind of major things to forgive in others. Abuse, whether it be verbal or sexual or emotional or physical or verbal or whatever it is. Someone's abused you and you just can't bring yourself to forgive. I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, if you don't forgive them, you're stopped in your walk and your growth with God. And I know that's harsh. I know that's tough. But you gotta go back to the cross and think, what did Jesus die for? What did he die for? He died for not just my sin and your sin. He died for humanity's sin. Jesus Christ literally died for every foul person like that abuser of Corey Ten Boom. He died for those sins too. Because if someone calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Every person has a chance, even the most vile sinner. It's hard to believe. It's hard to comprehend. It's hard to think about a perfect Savior taking the punishment of those sins upon himself, actually becoming sin itself. Someone reminded me uh, last week that, that God at one point turned his back on Jesus. Because God can't, a holy God can't look upon sin. He wasn't going to look upon it. Jesus not only bore our sin, he became sin for us. And the object of God's wrath. That's not fair. That's not justice. But thank God he did it because we're all justified because of it. Amen. What is forgiveness? Again, it's, it's dismissing the demand that others owe you something. And that's tough. And let's talk about what forgiveness is not, because there are so many misconceptions that surround this word. We can almost define it better by what it's not. Number one, I don't care how you want to write this in your notes, but forgiveness does not circumvent God's justice. It's allowing God to execute his justice in his time and in his way. Forgiveness does not wait for time to heal all wounds. Time doesn't heal wounds because people can refuse to let it heal them. Forgiveness does not let the guilty off the hook. Hear me, church. If you forgive someone, it doesn't let them off the hook. It's moving the guilty from your hook to God's hook. and saying, God, I can't deal with this. I need to forgive them because I don't want it to stop my growth. I'm going to put them on your hook, and you deal with them. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. It takes two for reconciliation, only one for forgiveness. Forgiveness focuses on the offense, where reconciliation focuses on the relationship. Forgiveness requires no relationship. However, reconciliation requires a relationship in which two people in agreement are walking together towards the same goal. And, and let me say this, if you can possibly reconcile, reconcile. There are situations that you can't. I understand that. Then don't. We're required to forgive, not necessarily reconcile, but don't use that as an excuse never to reconcile when there's been differences. Well, I forgive them, but I'm never talking to that person again. In that story of Corey Ten Boon, she, at the end of that conversation, reached out and grabbed his hand, the same hands that abused her. And she shook his hands and she said, God bless you. If anyone didn't have to reconcile probably was her. Forgiveness involves a change in thinking about the offender. Reconciliation involves a change in behavior by the offender.
Forgiveness does not excuse unjust behavior. It's a misconception. It doesn't excuse their behavior. It is an acknowledgement it is an acknowledgement that their unjust behavior is without excuse while still forgiving them. These are hard things, church. You wonder why sometimes the church seems so messed up? How sometimes the church doesn't look any different than the world? It's because we refuse to walk in some of these things. Forgiveness is unbelievably important. And these misconceptions sometimes keep us from forgiving one another. Forgiveness does not explain away the hurt. It is working through the hurt. Pastor Jordan, you need to... Grab this mic here. Um, we've just gotcha. It's on. It's on. It's on. There we go. Um, we just had kind of a word from the Lord that uh, there's an individual uh, in our congregation here that God, for whatever reason, uh, this imperative that it happens right now. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why, but we want to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, so yeah. um, that you would pray for um, Larry, and Larry's okay with this, and um, he knows, uh, he, he knows he's been informed, and so he's okay with whatever you want to pray, so thank okay. you, Pastor Barry. Yeah, let's pray. Church, would you just reach your hand out? I know this is a little out of the ordinary, but God can stop our service anytime he wants. How about that? Amen. We don't care. Yeah, and Larry was diagnosed with leukemia not too long ago. And he goes in tomorrow for a meeting with his oncologist. And uh, we're believing for a great report, right? A God report. A God report. So let's all reach our hand toward him. If you want to stand, you can. If you want to stay sitting, you can. But let's just pray for Larry. Lord Jesus, we lift up Larry right now to you. God, I pray that you would cover him in your blood. God, that you would heal him from head to toe, that every cell would line up with your word. God, that cancer would have no place within his bones, that cancer would have no place within his body. Lord, that you would eradicate all of those cancerous cells and, and, and heal him, God, again, from head to toe. You are Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. You are the great physician, and we call upon you right now, God, for Larry. For Larry. And I know, Lord, that, that ever since this diagnosis has taken place, that he searched his own heart. He searched his heart, God, and said, where, where have, have I sinned? And, and that's a proper thing. But God, sometimes we know that it's not because of our own sin that we experience these kinds of, of, of reports, doctor's reports and health issues. God, sometimes it's just because we're in this old, stupid old world, this sinful fallen world. Yes. And God, where it's right for Larry to check his heart, we know, Lord, that he is standing here pure before you because he's asked forgiveness, and you are faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. God, flood him with faith. Fill him, God, with the faith that, that only you can fill him with, that would believe for his own healing, that your word is true. And God, we put all the results in your hands. We thank you for the doctors. We thank you for all that they can do. And God, we pray that you would guide them and lead them and direct them. But Lord, let your name become famous over the testimony that we can jump and holler about. God, that's coming in Larry's life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hallelujah. You know, I, I think I could say this. I think that there are those in the church that are sick sometimes, not all the time. Did you hear me? Not all the time, right? Sometimes. It can be the result of unforgiveness in your own heart. Because unforgiveness can turn to bitterness, and, un, and bitterness can turn to a, a poison within you that just, it, it just causes your health to go downhill. That's why it's so important, church. So important. 
to check our hearts all the time and make sure we're in that state of forgiving others. I just got done saying, forgiveness, what, what is it not? Forgiveness does not explain away the hurt. It is working through the hurt. It's not, forgiveness is not based on what is fair. It was not fair for Jesus to hang on the cross, but he did so that we could be forgiven. It's not stuffing your anger over a situation. It's resolving your anger by releasing the offense to God. These are all things that forgiveness is not, and yet we kind of think, well, if I forgive, I'm doing that. Not necessarily. Look at what forgiveness is and what it isn't. Forgiveness is not a natural response. It's a supernatural response empowered by God, and he'll give you the ability to do it. It does not deny the hurt. It's feeling the hurt and releasing it. It's not conditional. It's unconditional. A mandate from God to everyone regardless of the offense. Forgiveness is not forgetting either. It is necessary to remember before you can forgive. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's not an emotion. It's an act of the will. These are all things that forgiveness is not. We've already talked about God's word and how it mandates us to forgive one another, which is probably the only reason we really need, but there are some, some other reasons why we should forgive. And that's the next point. Why should we forgive? Unforgiveness keeps you emotionally attached to the offense and the offender. You want to move beyond something, you have to forgive them. Because if you don't, you're just going to be attached to them all the more. And I understand what I'm talking about this morning. I understand that some of you have been hurt so deeply and, and been treated so cruelly that, that I even feel bad saying that. I just want you to have the truth, though. You don't need to be connected to that person that hurts you like that. Maybe it's someone from your past. Maybe it's someone who's not even living anymore and you're still connected to them because of what they've done. If you have a continual kind of refusal to forgive, it will dig a deeper hole in which you can easily hide your hardened heart. Your past hurts, though buried, are, are still very much alive and because they are not released in God's way, you don't forgive, you eventually become like your offender, but you're blind to it. Not forgiving your offender is an offense to God, therefore making you an offender to God as, as well. I already said this, but unforgiveness turns to bitterness, which is really just poison within you. It can have all sorts of adverse effects on your life. Have you ever thought about the complexity of the common honeybee? The honeybee is the only insect that produces food eaten by man. How many like honey? It's also the only food that never spoils. It lasts forever. A honeybee can fly for up to six miles and as fast as 15 miles an hour, so it would have to fly about 90,000 miles, which is the equivalent to three times around the globe, to make one pound of honey. It takes one ounce of honey to fuel a bee's flight around the world an incredible little creature. The average honeybee will actually make only one-twelfth of a teaspoon of honey in its lifetime. I think about that in reference to the church. One person can do so much, but a whole church unified together like, like a beehive is, oh my gosh, what can we do for the kingdom of God? The honeybee's wings stroke 11,400 times per minute, thus making their distinctive buzz. And actually, they, they used to say, I don't know, they used to say, like, scientifically, we can't figure out how, how bees fly, but, the, but through some really high-tech video stuff, they learned that, that um, bees actually, they, they rotate their wings and they move them at the same time. So they have a better understanding now than what they used to. A honeybee visits 50 to 100 flowers during a collection trip. A populous colony may contain 40,000 to 60,000 bees during the late spring or early summer. B 
Bees, this is interesting, bees maintain a temperature of 92 to 93 degrees Fahrenheit in their central brood nest, regardless of whether the outside temperature is 110 or negative 40. How can a little bug do that? The queen bee lives for about two to three years. She is the busiest in the summer months when the hive needs to be at its maximum strength. And she lays, all you ladies who have given birth, she lays up to 2,500 eggs a day. That poor thing, bless her heart, right? (laughs) Of course, many of you know this, without bees, the plants of the world would cease to exist because they are the chief pollinators. Bees are important. They really are amazing. But here's something that you may never have thought of before. Bees eat honey, and they somehow distill poison from that honey for their own self-defense. This poison is released via their stinger, and of course we know what happens when a bee stings. It dies. We're similar in that we draw poison out of the situations and circumstances that we go through in this life instead of letting God take our ashes and turning them to beauty or honey We quickly go to work drawing the poison out of those situations in order to build pseudo-self-defense mechanisms. And I use the word pseudo because these mechanisms, they never work. They don't work. Not to mention the fact that if you use them, you will probably end up like the bee who used their stinger. You can draw poison out of anything that you go through in this life, or you can release it to God and let him give you beauty. For the ashes. And he can turn anything around, no matter how horrific it is. I don't know how he can do that. I just believe he can. Unforgiveness, it keeps you spiritually dry. It blocks the door to salvation and God's forgiveness. We already mentioned that in Matthew 6. We've got to forgive to be forgiven. But it also causes us to walk in darkness. I haven't mentioned this. 1 John 2, 9 through 11. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Did you hear that? Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever hates his brother is, is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. It makes us captive to sin. Unforgiveness makes us captive to sin. These are reasons why we should forgive. Acts 8, 30, or 23, I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Another reason, it grieves the, whole, it grieves the Spirit of God. Ephesians 4, this is a little later in Ephesians, we're going to get to this stuff, but uh, 4, 30 through 32, do, you, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. There's that in Christ thing again, isn't there? Another reason to forgive. If you don't, it opens a door to Satan in our lives. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11. I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes. That means forgiveness is more important than holding on to your anger and being right. It doesn't matter if you're right if all unity breaks down between relationships in God's people and they fall apart. You can be right all the way, but you're not not forgiving your brother. And you block what God wants to do and you open the door to Satan in your life. All these are reasons why we should forgive. But how can we do it? That's point C. How, how can we do this? How can we forgive? How can we actually forgive those that have hurt us? And, and I guess the short answer is this. You can't. You can't without the help of the Holy Spirit working in your life. And you are the, you are the one that must allow him to do that. Keeping your thoughts in check is so important. If you, if you struggle with forgiving someone who, is, who, who has offended you, 
examine your thoughts. While you can't control what your offenders do, you can, you can control your own thinking about your offenders. And when that thought creeps up and it kind of furs up and you're just mad again, you know how it comes kind of, you know, you, you don't think about it for a while, what someone's done to you, and then all of a sudden it comes in and it's like a flood, right? And it just starts eating away at the inside of you. Like, ah, oh, man, I can't believe they did that to me. I can't believe they said that to me. I can't believe they manip- manipulated me that way. I can't believe they hurt me that way. I can't be- believe that they, they, they victimized me that way. In those moments, you gotta use the, the famous thought-sifting verse of the Bible. Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When that old, old, those old thoughts just start to kind of creep in and creep up in within you and you're just like, Ugh, say, that is not a noble thought. That is not pure. I shut it down. I take captive of that thought and I give it to God once again. And you may have to do that many, 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 many times, but refuse to live in unforgiveness, church. Refuse. Remember that the thoughts you dwell on will produce the feelings you feel. When you carefully choose what you dwell on within your own thoughts, your emotions will begin to follow suit. Sometimes your emotions have to catch up, right? To truly forgive those that have hurt us deeply can be more accurately compared to a marathon than to, a, than to compare it to a sprint. It, it takes time and constant effort for the emotions surrounding forgiveness to catch up with our, deci- our decision to forgive. And, and let, let me close this morning by helping you understand, again, how this relates to unity, because that's what we're looking at in the book of Ephesians. Unity begins with our unity with Christ. As Christians, we are in him, and as we remain in him, we become unified with him. Only when our vertical relationship with God is right do our horizontal relationships with one another become unified and right. Some of the benefits of being in Christ are listed in Ephesians 1. We are adopted, we are redeemed, and we are forgiven. And these are all important for us to understand thoroughly because we can really only become unified as the church of Jesus Christ when we start seeing one another through the same eyes that Jesus sees us personally. See, it's easier to be unified or to be one with each other when you understand that all of us who are in Christ are adopted and grafted into the vine. We're brothers and sisters. We're family. It takes less effort to walk in agreement with one another to that place of unity when you understand that you have been undeservedly redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and your brothers and sisters have too. It becomes less difficult to forgive one another when you understand how we ourselves have been forgiven. All of it comes into the focus of unity and our efforts to be the answer to Jesus' only unanswered prayer, that his church be one just as he and the Father are one, we talked about that one of the, I think the first week, the unanswered prayer of Jesus, that we would be one. Now, I understand I'm not like any of you in the here, and you're not like me, and you're not like the person next to you. We're all different. Amen. Yeah. Are you saying amen because you're not like me? I'm probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would say that. <laughs> amen. We're all different. God's the God of infinite variety. He created every single one of us different. We all have different things that we've been through. We've all had different things that we've, we've gone through, that we've had to deal with in life. Some of us have had obstacles that others haven't had, but we've all had some obstacles. And God's a just God. If you're mad at God because of your situation, Get over it, because other people have gone through things too. I, I, and I know that's harsh. I, I'm not trying to be harsh. I just don't want you stopped up. It's not worth it. 
He loves you. He hasn't wronged you. Yes, you've had to go through some things, but I don't think God's up there like a big, mean kid with a magnifying glass treating us like a bunch of ants, trying to burn us and get us. And It's not the way it is. He loves you. He loves you. And if you've gone through something that's horrific and hard, harder than what other people have gone through, then, then, then you, could, you could really say that God sees that you have the ability to do this and probably through that struggle or that situation or whatever's happened to you, that you can minister to others through that someday if you give it to him. Don't be mad at God. Sometimes we've got to forgive God in our own heart. Sometimes we've got to forgive ourselves, right? And let me say this to, to, to somebody who, who just can't forgive themselves. And I, again, I, I say this with all love in my heart. Please hear me. And, and maybe I, I, as a choleric personality, I just don't know how to be soft and, 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 and cuddly when I say things like this. So please hear me. Hear my heart. But if Jesus says you're forgiven, who are you to say that you're not? You know? Who are you to say that you're not forgiven? You are because one drop of his blood applied to your life makes you white as snow. Totally and completely forgiven. Your iniquities are being trampled under his feet. They've been thrown into the sea, the depths of the sea, not to be remembered ever again. He doesn't hold them against you. He also doesn't just like... Okay, I forgive you, but if you mess up one more time, then I'm gonna take everything I've forgiven, of you, or forgiven you for and then dump it back on you and you can carry it around again. Doesn't work that way, but people do that, don't they? Well, I gotta be perfect now, and if I'm not, then, I, then I'm totally guilty of everything again. No, that's not true. Once he's forgiven it, it is gone, baby. It's gone. It's gone, never to be remembered again. Do you understand? We, we read in the last part of verse, uh, or the first part of verse eight, the last part of, first, of verse seven in Ephesians chapter one, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Let me tell you something, he never runs out of grace. It says in verse eight, which he lavished his grace upon us. He's lavished it on you. Wow. I get how hard it can be to forgive. Someone's hurt you and it's legitimately a wrong they've done to you. But before you let your mind go crazy and go down roads of vain imaginations of, of why and Remember that God's forgiven you. There are testimonies out there of virtually every possible offense anybody could, 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 uh, could uh, have towards you or every possible victimization that someone could have, that someone could inflict on someone else and that someone else has forgiven them. Every single possible scenario. I've read them. I spent this week reading forgiveness stories. And I'd be sitting there going, I'd be reading them, I just have to put it down because I'm like, holy cow, how did they do that? You know what most of, most of the forgiveness stuff is in the church? Petty crap. Petty crap. You, that, that lady didn't say hi to me when I walked by her in the foyer. I'm not going to be nice to her. I mean, it, it, it goes from things like that to huge things. And God says, you've been forgiven, so forgive. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know there's not one person in this room that hasn't been hurt, that hasn't been on the receiving end of offense, things people have said to us, done to us, or didn't do to us, neglected us, hurt us, manipulated us, 
threw mud at us, drug us over the coals. Lord, right now, we just take a moment and we say, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving us. And we take all the offensives committed against us and we lift them up to you and release them to you, God. We give them to you. Lord, we're not saying that what they did was okay or that we're, we're all right with it. It was wrong. It was, it was unjust. But God, we take them our, off our hook of judgment and we put them on your hook because you're the only just judge. We don't know what those people who have hurt us, God, have been through. We don't know their, their, their history or anything like that, but more than likely somebody hurt them. And the vicious cycle is going to stop today. God, we want to be in you. We want to remain in you. In Christ, plugged into the vine, drawing our life source from you. And God, we ask you into our heart once again. Again, we're reminded of all that you've forgiven us for. Lord, help us to be the people that can imitate you, that can reflect you, and let us be people that forgive others. Let us have short memories when it comes to offenses that have been committed towards us. We don't want anything between you and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.